Sunny 16 presents. Welcome to episode 7 of On Film, where we're going to discuss Tom Tyker's 1998 film Run Lola Run. As always, a quick spoiler alert that if you haven't watched the film, you may want to go away and watch it and then return to this episode. So the film sees Lola receive a frantic phone call from her boyfriend Manny, who is due to deliver a bag of 100,000 Deutschmarks to the gang he works for for the goods that he smuggled. However, he leaves the bag of money on a subway and the bag is subsequently intercepted by a homeless man. Manny calls Lola for help and she has just 20 minutes to come up with the money, otherwise her boyfriend will be killed. So joining us today to talk about the film um, is California photographer and film director Jeremiah Chechik and Jeremiah has done so much, I don't know where to begin, so he's He's made documentaries early on in his career on the Black Panthers. He made um, commercials that caught the eye of Stanley Kubrick and Steven Spielberg. He has worked as a photographer for magazines such as Vogue and Harper's Bazaar. And he's also directed some much loved films that I'm sure you'll have heard about, um, such as National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Benny in June, Gossip Girl, and he's also directed, amongst other things, um, a, a mini-series called The Bronx is Burning. And Jeremiah, you have done so much. Um, but it's lovely to have you joining us here from sunny California. And thank you very much. How are you? Uh, COVID fine. <laughs> oh, that's good. COVID fine. <laughs> I'm still walking and talking. Um, and uh, so good. Yes. Fully vaccinated. As of oh, that's week, fantastic. So. Uh, obviously feel uh, somewhat relieved, um, you know, a little bit ahead mm -hmm. of the 3.3 uh, 3 billion people on earth who have yet not been vaccinated. Yeah, so yeah. anyway, we're getting uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay. We're, we're, we're managing uh, well here. I mean, and when I say here, I mean here in our house. <laughs> I'm not talking about <laughs> the country or the state. Yeah, and for listeners, um, I can see you've got some beautiful sunlight there streaming through your th through your windows, which is making me very jealous. <laughs> um, so, Je Jeremiah, you chose um, Run Lola Run. So, um, as always, if we kick off with what was it about um, Run Lola Run that you decided to talk about that film? Uh, you know, I, I wanted to stay away from doing sort of uh, the... You know the class. You know, there's a lot of films, uh, many films who, that that really influenced me, um, whether it's visually or emotionally. Mm. Um, you know, and they range from the Battle of Algiers, Blade Runner, you know, all the kind of film noirs of of uh, the American Hollywood system that came out of there. There's just a litany of how much work in film that did influence me from Godard uh, on down and up, uh, even Abel Gantz's Napoleon. These are things that I really took in and absorbed before I was even uh, a filmmaker. Um, but in terms of uh, just understanding uh, the contemporary um, aspiration of what a film can do, and, and I, I'll define uh, the experience of the film Mm. Uh, separate from the experience of watching television, uh, as someone who has directed and been immersed in both, mm. um, the, the lines have been very blurred in a good way uh, with such outstanding television that has evolved over the last decade, yeah. you know, from The Sopranos yeah. to to present. And, and so... I wanted to find a film that would not really work, in my view, anyway, as a television show, 
but work tremendously uh, with an audience in a, in a um, theater with the sound cranked up yes. um, and, and in a fully immersive way. And, and, and so it would be more than just the context. I mean, one could imagine seeing a film like Blade Runner weekly. I mean, in many ways, we have The Mandalorian here. That is mm, mm. a version. You know, so we're in the world. The world is fascinating and contextual, and we travel, and there's stories within it. Run, Lilla, Run is its own thing. And, and why I love it so much and why it did influence me, it was a film that helped me understand that film can operate on so many different levels simultaneously. I, I am one that loves a good popcorn, kinetic, explosive mm. movie. You know, recently, last year, a couple of years ago, Baby Driver. I mean, I love that movie. I loved it for its flow. I have not made a movie like that. Mm. I would like to, but I haven't made one yet like that. There are moments in some of my films that uh, aspire mm. to that. But Tom Tickford's work in, in that film, I believe it's one of his early works, if not his yeah. first. But it, it was able to confidently uh, manipulate time and how we we um, respond to it uh, yeah. and logic uh, and do so in a visual feast kinetically. So it's working on that level. Mm. On performance, it really is spectacular. Um, you know, the, 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 act, the acting in it is so grounded uh, and so um, emotionally true that the foundation of it um, is solid enough to give the kinetic moves a real uh, earned feeling. So mm -hmm. it's not just like, oh, this is kind of a cool rock video. And I think, you know, we have everybody from the Chemical Brothers yeah. on doing, doing the movie. And, and at that time, that was the kind of mm, hippest, mm. Um, you know, uh, feeling that one could kind of integrate with, yeah. with a, a film. I don't know if, if I had heard a track soundtrack like that in, in you know, in years and years and years. Mm. Um, and so th that's one way. So you have the grounding of this wonderful romance between these two, mm -hmm. wherein the woman is the fierce, proactive, problem-solving uh, yeah. force in the film. And the man is kind of a little bit of a, a, a weak link, uh, he's, you know, he's, he's a bit forgetful or very forgetful. He, he, he's very feminine mm. as in the mythic version of, mm. you know, what we had described to our kind of, uh, social definitions, which thank God are evolving. Um, if not fast enough, but they are. Um, and, and, and so I love that dynamic, mm. um, and so you have really grounded performances. You have, in a way, gender flipping in terms of, you know, the yeah. woman is coming to save the day. And then That's you have right, yeah. this absolutely freedom of moving in and out of animation. Yes. Um, of back and forth in time, of kind of brutal realism, of action, of soft moments, of anticipation and humor, all connected in a way that is forceful and, and, um, and, and each one of these elements supporting the other. Yes. And so that movie really did take my breath away when I first saw it. And when mm -hmm. you break down the kind of multiple layers of storytelling um, into these segments, uh, and it's not the first film that that uh, that did that. I mean, there have been films like that before. We'll, I'm sure, mention Blind Chance, the Polish yeah. uh, uh, film. Um, 
that that you know that used different stories to or uh, yeah the same story told in different ways to ascribe mm. different endings um what was nice i mean there have been kind of less effective sliding doors where mm. serendipity plays a tremendous role in the outcome of the story and reminds yeah. us that serendipity also has uh, a tremendous force in our own life so as we kind of balance mm. our uh, intentions, our free will, you know, who we are, what our lives are, we always have to remember that there's a lot of serendipity if you're born into a certain uh, strata, uh, in a certain country with a certain pigmentation. Yeah. Um, you have a, 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 an enormous um, choice menu that you may mm. take or not, but if you were born into the slums of Lagos, then you may have much more limited choices mm. or your choices are very different. And But serendipity, running into somebody, a, a chance meeting, tripping and breaking an arm, all of these things can have the butterfly effect. Yes. Uh, and for those who don't know what that is you know there, there's a philosophy that says if a butterfly in china flops its wings its effect will be felt all over the world in some mm. way or another and and so this film really does encompass so much and it's just an exuberantly confident and playful and at the end of the day happy film mm. gosh you've said so much there jeremiah <laughs> um i the thing that struck me when I watched it straight away was how what you've just said, how it reversed that kind of boy saves girl kind of narrative. So it, we've got we've got Lola coming to save the day. And when I watched it, just what you said there, it did make me wonder if um, the director had been influenced by uh, Kieslowski's Blind Chance, which yeah. is which because both films, don't they run Lola run, um, as you've said there, is kind of like a time loop film. So it has we see um, three potential outcomes. And like you say, it has those big, deep themes of fate and chance and, and cause, cause and effect. And I, the more I watched it, I watched it a couple of times ahead of this podcast, I, I, I just came away thinking how nothing's wasted in that film. It's so dense and um, everything matters. Um, because, as you say, as we see Lola, um, say, on the first out outcome, you know, her mother, <laughs> um, you go into the shop for the shampoo, you know, the first time she runs down the stairs, the second time she falls and she's running with an injured leg. But then it's also, we we see, though, and each outcome, ha each, each um, the three different narratives have different outcomes, don't they? The one, um, she is, she is, ends up being killed because the policeman's distracted and that causes uh um that outcome and then and then the second one you know um manny is knocked over when she gets them the money off her father and then the third one um you know he delivers the money and then she has the money she's won in the casino but it's so much more than that as well because we have all the other characters so it's interesting to me how you know the, the lady she passes who's pushing the pram the guy the guy that we see in all of the on the bike and we see the use of that kind of flash photography as well um, of how we see how that cause and effect little interactions and we see how different kind of pathways their lives turning out so i felt like all the characters everything interplays um so it's really, really dense. I, I, I thought it was so dense to keep on top of all that. And as you say, from a, from a filmmaking um, perspective, from all the cinematography, it combined, like you say, we had animation, we had black and white um, film photography in there. We had still photography. photography. Yeah, we had still photography in there. Um, we had split screen. We had so much in there. But I felt like, I don't know what you felt. For me, it didn't feel like any of it it was exceptionally experimental and I'm trying to put myself back in, 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 in 1998. I feel like it's as fresh now. I suppose the only thing that ties it, like you say, um, to that, the nineties is, is the soundtrack, which reminded me a bit of like, um, train spotting at time, that kind of underworld yeah. soundtrack. And obviously yeah. 
Lola, she looks very 90s, how she looks, her, her, her clothes, but I think all those other elements uh, are still really effective today. And I didn't feel, I don't know about you, that any of them were tricksy for the sake of being tricksy. Um, that, 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 that's, I think, fun fundamental. In other words, and one of the things that I felt and you had brought it up is passing people on the street. Yes. But we don't just drift by them. We go, what would their future be? Here are several different outcomes for them. And, and those narratives told within five or six seconds with a series of still mm. photographs and like a motor drive, uh, or, or in, in this case, I think it's a Polaroid yes. sound yes. Of, of rewinding with that high pitched recharging of the flash, whatever it was. Uh, and, and in succession, we see all the different outcomes for people randomly that we pe that we pass on the street or bump into. And I, I, I think th those are amazing prods for us not to take anything for granted in our life, waiting in a supermarket, whether we choose to engage with somebody in the line or not. Yes. All of those can have lots and lots of different uh, effects in our life, in their life. And so it puts you in a, in a, a state of hyper uh, awareness. Um, and Franca Patente, who, who plays Lola. Yeah. Certainly for an American audience, you know, we're looking at, uh, uh, at a woman. I, I find her just completely engaging, mm. but she's not what we would call traditional movie star, beautiful, you know what I mean? She, you know, it, the makeup is down. It's very rough and raw. And yet her sexuality and her sensitivity, um, her fierceness, uh, her, but, but overall with all that strength and all of that power, everything she does, we never lose sight of the fact that she is at heart so sensitive and so yearning for love. And, and that, that's a great accomplishment, I think, from Tom Tickfer, who, by the way, may I just say, mm. you know, he went on to, to you know, he, he, he did get somehow a little bit sucked into the commercial filmmaking, bigger films. Mm. But lately, uh, he was one of the uh, EPs on uh, Babylon Berlin. Um, a television series which I rate as one of the greatest TV shows of the decade. Um, it, it's a masterwork in storytelling. It's completely yeah. different. It's a very formal, gorgeously cast, gorgeously lit, and and a very strong story. And I, I say this because um, here is a director uh, that serves the story rather than applying a kind of hipster aesthetic yeah. to any story. So Run Lola Run yeah. was perfectly served by technique and story in delivering its intention as is Berlin Babylon, which I, I encourage all of those listening to uh, give it a go. And it and it got us questioning, I think, that these big questions, like you say, of fate and chance and life. And it, so it's quite a metaphysical film. And it opened, didn't it, with some, the film opens with some po some lines from um, T.S. Eliot uh, poetry. So it's quite a philosophic, it's, it's quite philosophical and, and questioning. And I thought as well, um, it also draws on kind of, this is my, I picked up anyway, I don't know if you'd agree, um, questions around intuition and, and bits of psychic phenomena that the, the, the blind, the, the, the character, one of the characters that the blind lady who I, who I understand I was reading was the actual mother of the, the real life mother of, of, of the, the actor who played Manny. Um, that, that um, she seemed to always have some sort of knowing there was um, nods to it in, I thought in, in the casino um the number 20 and what that means um the, the, i don't know what you made of um when she's able to through her determination and her screaming she's able to sort of shatter all those the glasses but influence things there was it was so 
I thought it was a questioning film as well, one that really, really got you got you thinking. And the whole the whole take on time, like you said at the beginning, there was a lot of references to you know to time. There was um, the, clock, the, the clock, the clock, the, the clocks, the no. clocks, the clocks, the ticking clock, the twenty minutes, the images of the clock. I think there was a, a one scene early on, wasn't there? A tortoise or something. So there was lots of on time and. And then the T.S. Eliot poet as well, isn't it? Um, he he does stuff on uh, for, for, yeah. from the four quartets on time. So I found it it was a, a very philosophical, but not done in any. Um, yeah, every, it was a lean film because everything was meaningful. So I thought it's one of those. The more you watch it, the the more you you got out of it. Which um, is, by the way, the opposite of Blind Chance, which is ah. in, in, extraordinarily, in my view, self indulgent. Uh, it's like every every story within it. There are three. Yes, it begins with a man running from a train and missing it, yep. and all the consequences of of that in mm. what was at that time communist uh, Poland. Mm -hmm. Whether he should join the party, he does in one. He doesn't join the party in another. Yep. He becomes religious in another. Uh, all of these things seem interminable in terms of time. In other words, there's a whole, feels like a whole hour and a half on each of these stories and very, um, that kind of hyper intellectual, self-conscious, mm. uh, literary uh, stuff that I think Zlowski moved away from in Three Colors, thank goodness, mm. um, of giving us uh, much more of the uh, of the emotional and less uh, of the intellectual and and uh, so I, I had you know lots of problems with with uh, blind chance but um, but I I appreciate it so yeah. I can appreciate it from a distance but it didn't have the same kinetic uh, absorption that, that I have and that, and that that really has a lot to do with who I am, what I respond to, and mm. and, and and what kind of aesthetic um, I have. I mean, uh, you know, again, is that serendipity? What happened in my life that created that? I don't know that that need for those kinds of kinetic uh, appreciations rather than intellectual appreciations of which I have friends uh, who you know who wouldn't respond as well to. Run Lola One, they would see it as as more of a uh, a dessert, something kind of fun <laughs> but not important. Rather, blind chance may be like important because mm. it deals with the party and religion and mm. you know all of that stuff. Um, both of them really uh, join up when when we think about and talk about free will, because yeah. you know we operate our our lives um, or have up to this year based on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have plans, we make plans, we have intentions about what we can do, whether, you know, we're in a privileged position mm. or not, uh, of affecting the outcome of our lives. And then all of mm. a sudden you realize that, you know, some bat, you know, hanging in some market, you know, in Wuhan, uh, you know, may have just dripped something onto somebody's food that they ingested and the entire world changed. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, and now we're adapting uh, to that, right? We're, yeah. So now there is another, well, you know, my intention is not to get COVID. <laughs> my intention <laughs> is to stay healthy, be at home, do my work from here. And within that, we kind of move forward. So, I do think that that um, that balance between free will and serendipity or luck or some yeah. people call it faith. Some people could say it's God's will, you know, Wh whatever it is, it's the universe plan. You know, the, the fact is we don't know. It's mm. all really kind of illusory. We're only here for a micro beat in, you know, universal time. We make the best of it. We're just, you know, humans struggling to understand what's going yeah. on. And that movie does really present that feeling. You know what I mean? I mean, the, some of the most beautiful scenes in that movie are just the two of them bathed in red. 
I was you just know, post, say, postcoital that are yeah, just, yeah. just there and, and talking and, and it, it, it slows it down and it really, I think, structures the beginning of these stories, each of them in a different Definitely. tone that, that um, makes you appreciate uh, the connections that we have and how to maintain them. Yeah, I, I like those kind of vignettes as well, because I thought each after each kind of segment, so we have outcome one, we, we move to those little vignettes. And I thought, for me anyway, I felt like they kind of touched as well on more on that kind of that intuition, that kind of that kind of knowing. Because wasn't it the yeah. first one she's questioning about, oh, do you love me? And then the, the, the other one, he's it's almost yes. like he has that premonition. What would you do if I died when we've just seen the uh -huh. outcome of, of the second one? Yeah. Um, but I thought he did a, a really good job um, of those big questions, fate, chance, determinism, like you say, uh, luck, all those things in, in, in interplay and question it. Uh, question, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's, um, personally, I, I think it's a great film. I definitely think, I haven't read that he's influenced by Kislowski, but I'm taking that he, that he definitely is. And I could also see elements of, um, you know, from the Decalogue, see, one of... Um, some of the films I've watched, the Kieslowski traits are sometimes you can watch his like Three Colours Blue. You can watch all those films, just one of them, can't you? But if you watch them all, you'll see some of the same characters popping up doing the same things. Yeah. Um, and I felt that was present in in the film as well, in Run Run Lola Run. What about though? Going back to the the what parts? Because I was trying to work out at times how have they done this this shot? So, because um, it was so. I mean, it is very quite an intense film, and it's very fast-paced, isn't it? It's eighty minutes, and we—you've got to, you know, you're on it for the full eighty minutes. So it's, is it, it's lean it's, forward film. Yeah, for it, sure. it, yeah, that's a good description. It's lean forward for eighty minutes. It's exhilarating, and of course, you've got the the soundtrack going. Although, again, the nods to time. Um, I like the who sang there. What a difference a day makes. That was a great touch. Uh, yeah. Um, I actually like really like that song and it fitted the scene so well and again it was all in tune with it with with the theme but we were saying you know they did it, the parts of the animation which again um, when when Lola is running down the stairs um, there's an animation of her on her mum's TV it's so clever um, and then, like, of course, her mum's uh, uh, talking astrology. Astro on the exactly. Phone, right? yes. with, so, so there's a, there's a tentacle about that, and of course, you know, as a filmmaker, I, I I always wonder how much of it is scripted, how much of it is again serendipity. There's a yeah. lot of internal serendipity in filmmaking, which is like, oh my god, we're losing the light. We need to get this shot in 15 minutes. Um, here's what we're going to do, and often that becomes something so spectacular, memorable, and people go, I remember when I was doing Benny and June, and there, there were some scenes, because mm. I'd shot a lot of stuff at the end of the day, and, and I would chip away every day, you know, uh, for the half hour of really low light, we would go back yeah. to a specific scene, so I would just chip away for the consistency of light. And, and you know, you just use that consistent, uh, an inconsistent way to kind of sublimate or surrender to the film you're making. Yeah. Um, th those are things that filmmakers really need to do because often if you do have all the money in the world, it doesn't <laughs> mean that your film is going to end up to be good or bad. Uh, likewise, if you have very little money to make a film, it does not mean that the film will be good or bad. Yeah. There is a lot of intention, technique, focus, bringing together of the right elements of the right time, luck, but also those kinds of serendipity. And I know we, we are using that word a lot in this podcast, mm -hmm. but that's really what the kind of the chance of something. Uh, years and years ago, I was making a television commercial and I was working with Gordon Willis, the great late Gordon Willis, mm. and we were shooting in New York. And it was a scene uh, in front of Tiffany's uh, Fifth Avenue. And um, and I just, uh, I remember we had finished that and we just looked up and saw the sun glinting off this gold mm. building right up. And we just like, oh my God, like within 
you know, 10 minutes, we were, we were on the sidewalk with, you know, light you know, yeah. lens change and, and, and capture this. This was all about the beauty and, and grace of New York at the time. Um, in the, I guess it was the late eighties. Um, and, and just because it happened, we didn't plan it, but it's so defined, mm. you know, a moment in that, uh, commercial that was our embrace and the beauty and glory that was New York. Um, and, and so taking advantage of those moments, being aware that they exist, mm. uh, you know, my hat's off to Tom Tickfer because, um, I, I, I just felt, and, and we haven't even talked about the editing of it because yeah. again, I can't speak to that. I don't know enough about, about his process, but I can imagine that that the editing of it, um, again, throwing tracks up on the screen, uh, you know, when to jump into those panning mm. close-ups, mm. uh, you know, when to make hard stops as, you know, a car will pull up or the breaking glass of, yeah. Yeah. of those guys carrying the glass. It's very silent movie uh, reference, you know. Um, I... I there's just so much in it uh, that, uh, again, um, I hadn't seen it in a while. So when you asked me to pick a film, you know, <laughs> I, this was one that I wouldn't have expected me to talk about. But I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm glad I, I, I saw it again and appreciated it maybe more than, than when I had originally saw it. And I loved it then. Mm. Now that I, I understand all of the, not all, but certainly a great deal of the technical um, prowess that one needs to make a film like that, mm. uh, whether it's in instinct, luck, or, or, or style, or whatever mm. you're applying, um, is my appreciation certainly deepened um, yeah. with, with, because I, I can now imagine what it was like on the street to do those shots rotating around well, the phone booth and coming to the yeah, clock. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said about the rotating round shots because I, at the beginning, um, I mean, from the word go, when she gets the phone call actually after she's sort of working out what she's going to do and she's rotating round and then the um, the red phone, which I love, I love I, I love those old phones, so the red, the red phone, um, it's kind of suspended in the air really small, uh, really slowly, sorry, the, um, you know, the handset and, and the wires. And I was thinking, how have they done that? I couldn't, I don't know how they've done that. You know, there was so much in there and I'm thinking, I'm sitting there watching it thinking, oh, I wonder how they did that. I wonder how they, how they did that. And um, I also like the use of the, the, the black and white. Um, there was some black and white film in there, wasn't there, which was, I think, to, to show us maybe the, the past. Um, when she uh, didn't make it to, to pick him up. Um, so everything was so well thought out, I thought. Um, and like you say, them bathed in, in, the, in, yeah. in the red. But how, did, how do you think they did do that? Film well, that I won't speak to shot. how we did it, you know. I mean, you <laughs> know what I mean? Because I could get it wrong as right. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. But, but, but I do, um, I do uh, agree that, that one of the, one of the th the, the kind of on the technical end, the the way the camera a keeps moving or the subjects keep moving, and, yes. and there are very definite hard stops in it. You know, whenever she enters her father's office and yeah, catches, those are like hard punctuations, and and he takes the time to actually stop, and often with no dialogue, with just cut. Cut, 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 look, yeah. look, absorbing. And, and that allows the forward momentum to even be more salient, I think, when, when it resumes. Um, so, you know, there you go. Uh, it's a, it, I, I think it, it, it's a really um, masterwork. It's an amazing film. And, and hats off, Tom Tickfer, to both that and definitely, Babylon, definitely. Berlin. And I thought so. He's, he, I think he's definitely a, little, a Hitchcock fan with the that's the spiral, the staircase. Possibly, I, I don't know. Um, well, who isn't? 
Yeah. <laughs> what filmmaker hasn't yeah. tried to borrow, yeah. steal, uh, um, you know, or raid Hitchcock's um, tool bag? But it, it, it is great. And I'm, I'm just thinking again, I, I like the, the, I love, well, it was so many good scenes, but I'm just thinking the casino. I love it when she screams and she breaks all the glasses in the casino and then they're all watching her get her get her money at, at, at the end. And again, that the very subtle cause and effect of how we're so dependent on other people, like that lady wasn't going to let her into the casino. You can't go in like that. Yes, but she, she does in the end. And then, of course, that ha has a certain outcome. So... Great film, um, I think, on all levels, I think we're saying. Um, I read as well um, that Franca Potenza, I mean, she runs, obviously, Run, Lola, Run. She does a lot of running in the film. <laughs> yes, she um, does. And, and I read that um, at the time she made the film, um, she said that she wasn't, she didn't do any training. Um, she wasn't a runner in a, in, a, in a spare time or anything like that. And that she was actually smoking two packs of cigarettes a day when she did that running. And she was running in uh, Doc Martens as well. So, yeah, I'd like to see the, um, I wonder what the shot list looked like, whether she had to, they did all the running in one day or something or over two days or, or they they spread it, spread it out. Um, you're... Your work, uh, Jeremiah, your photographic work, I mean, you've done so much, like I said at the beginning, you've, you've made um, documentaries, you've made films, you've um, worked for big magazines and you do your own, still photographing. Um, a lot of your, you know, I was looking at your work um, and it looks experimental to me. So is that something that really does appeal to you? Because that's an experimental film, experimental... Um, photography, experimental filmmaking, is that kind of your thing? Is that what influences you? Well, I've been doing, um, I've been working as, a, you know, I don't want to sound too pretentious, but I don't know the other, what other word I go, <laughs> I've been working as an artist for a long time. Um, uh, you know, I started out as a, a painter, but, but mm. I would use photography, you know, as reference. Uh, my yeah. father was a photographer. I grew up with cameras. Mm. Uh, some of my earliest jobs were, you know, darkroom technician for, you know, rare book libraries, reprinting glass negatives, you mm. know. So I have a background in that. But from the get-go, I've always experimented with homemade cameras or holography in the 70s. Um, so that's very experimental and uh, pushing the limits of kind of coding uh, coating plates and, and uh, turning photos into either stone lithos mm. uh, or intaglio prints. And then and finally, um, just what, what I guess you'd call fine art photography. Um, and then, you know, never really focused. To, you know, I had many shows in the 70s, late 70s. But by the time the 80s um, turned out, I was I was kind of well into working uh, commercially or semi-commercially mm. because I was in um, in Italy uh, working for Italian Vogue, sometimes Harper's yeah. Bazaar, uh, Loma Bazaar. Um, but, you know, Italian Vogue, I, I worked with in Milan and it would travel all over the world and shoot that. I was doing commercial work in New York City. Um, and, and that evolved to doing commercials. Mm. Um, but so my photography, I, I would do personal, but I was, I was hyper-focused on everything, uh, making a living, yeah. <laughs> supporting <laughs> my kids, blah, blah, blah. So as that evolved or devolved, um, you know, into just exploring different kinds of, of work, um, now that I've kind of managed to kind of create some balance, I mean, uh, you know, I have a production company here and we're uh, quite invested in, in um, television, you know, mm. uh, long form television. Um, we have multiple uh, projects uh, set up at different studios and, and are moving in that direction. Also, I write. Um, and, and so that, that is, is something that, that occupies half my day. And then the other half of the day, I'm working on a couple of books for two different publishers of my work. Um, 
And, um, you know, the work that, that has been evolving for me is uh, really, uh, as you and I have discussed, is, is really in that gray zone between reality and um, abstraction or, or mm. fantasy. Um, and, you know, to wit, I, I will go and, and, you know, basically try to capture uh, kind of classic landscapes. But as I work through them, I, I shift or absorb what makes them a little bit off. So are they... <laughs> Are they of the earth or are they something else? So to try and push uh, work that uh, is what we have come to uh, feel is uh, a realistic, um, you know, description of our world. And by the way, nothing is more abstract than a black and white photo. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but we've come to say that's true. Uh, mm. How that's a whole other conversation, I think one that we've had on our podcast, The Future of Photography, <laughs> with our common friend, Adrian. And uh, the, the other part of it is, is creating um, polygonal landscapes using Unreal Engine or Cinema 4D or World mm. Creator, those kinds of techniques, and working on those, and then really uh, creating the photograph of those so that they appear extremely real. Mm. And then the third kind of juncture is, of course, uh, working uh, with street photography through video games and exploring Which blew the my mind. contexts and, and, the, and the, 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 just the kind <laughs> of worlds that are there. Nothing to do with the gameplay, really to do with the environments and moving through, learning how to move through them and capture them and bring them into Photoshop and, and give them a photographic or a neorealistic veneer. Um, so that that's a, the third part. And, and lately I've kind of circled back and I'm uh, experimenting with uh, photographic gravure and taglio prints uh, from some of my digital creations. So I'm taking <laughs> the most modern tools mm. that I have or have learned to use of creating totally artificial landscapes that look real mm. and converting them onto continuous tone plates, etching them, and then I'm working with a... Uh, a printer, the man who makes the inks that I print off. I use a technique called piezography, and it's, it's mm. subject for another conversation, but they're all very you, Well, prints. so you like the film. To me, your work is very experimental, and your work is very questioning. I, we, before we began the podcast, it we is. were talking about um, I love your body of work, Days Among Stones, oh. and all those great images and the, the vivid, the vivid, vivid colours um that you shot in josh did was it joshua tree you were saying joshua tree yes yeah, yeah. That, that, that they're wonderful they are um well th thank you again you know they, they they were they were designed to take a landscape that has a kind of heightened surrealism um just inherent in the landscape itself and the light that's there it's quite a magical place um and uh, apply an aesthetic that, that was influenced by the very, very kind of crude sets of Star Trek <laughs> yeah. when it began uh, in terms of color and, and, and feel. So you have this very, uh, in some ways, a brutalist landscape with big rock formations, very specific kind of trees that only grow in, in that area on Earth uh, at certain elevations. And they're, you know, they're kind of beautifully monstrous trees that I love. And mm. photographing these things and applying an otherworldly concept mm. or visual to them so we can maybe look at our world as an alien would look at our world and, and see it in that way. So <laughs> it's really establishing that tension between reality and illusion that I, I love to find myself in. Uh, maybe that's the whole nature of uh, our life condition. And creating alternative alternative universes. I love it. Also your humans, when I was looking at your human series, um, the one, um, there was a shot there that was to me was quite surreal. The one with the, the pool table 
outside was that like a pool table where was that pool table the snooker table uh that, that uh, particular image is shot on the uh extreme edge of western china as it borders uh afghanistan across okay. the lake uh the it, it was in a very small uyghur settlement it's almost impossible to get in there now to photograph uh, but that's all um, shot in Xinjiang province in Western China. Um, did a road trip there. Yeah. <laughs> Which so, so you basically, so you didn't set that up. That was, that was actually. Oh, no, no, that that's there. Right. The, 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 the so human stuff. <laughs> no, the human stuff is, is captures. I mean, it, these are classic captures of the mm. real world, but mm. uh, they were all things that spoke to me in a way that was heightened realism. Yeah. yeah, and then of course you've got your, your other body of work I liked is the the color stories. Your color stories. That was some. I think it's image four. There's like a white building. It looks like quite in a, in a deserty desert place. Really like these big expanses you've got, but um, they look yeah, they look just, exotic to me. <laughs> they look all well, uh, They look exotic to me as well. Yeah. You, captured them. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's there's um. You know, there's much work to be done. I, I, um, I do. One of the reasons I love photography uh, is that I can do it without having, you know, a to raise money to sell it to a studio to worry about distribution, mm. even marketing. I don't do much. Uh, you know, any any anything that that has come out of i don't promote my instagram i don't like i mm. just i want it to happen naturally um okay my website is just me and my name.com and you know i just find that anybody who falls into it and discovers it does so on their own serendipity oh, yeah definitely. Um, i'm not i'm certainly not not speaking against promote promoting it but mm. i just don't have the bandwidth or time to kind of be a, a self-promoter because I'm, I'm just so busy making stuff um, so that, you know, I, I find my days are, uh, are busy yeah. and fulfilled in, in the creation of, of new work. I'm always fascinated with things like social media, how it's, you know, how it's kind of, it's grown and, and where it's going. And, and if one day something will happen and we'll just lose all our platforms and, <laughs> and all that will exist is, you know, like, our prints or our, our negatives or or, 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 or whatnot. Yes, if an I... EMP, an EMP explosion, yeah. <laughs> electronic magnetic pulse yeah, yeah. that just blows out computers and memory. And I that's why it's... these things over here, these are yeah. these are prints. Those are actual ah. physical prints. So for listeners, um, yes, you, 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 they're big, aren't they? They're, they're all prints, yeah. yeah, big, big prints. How big are they, Jeremiah? No, they're not massive prints. They're what yeah. I can fit. They're 22 by 17 22. Yeah. I'm interested, um, you know, with your kind of, your work, your own personal work, um, photographic work, so experimental. This film you selected is is very experimental. When you worked for um, big magazines such as, you know, Vanity Fair and um, Italian Vogue. how much for Vanity Fair. Oh, but... sorry. Um, Half Whatever, it doesn't matter. I yeah. worked for a lot of and, different magazines. For um, <laughs> Vogue, how much, how much creative freedom did you get with those um, Well, editorially, when you, when you work for editorial on those magazines, yeah. especially Italian Vogue, you had mm. total freedom. I mean, oh, right. I would always say, like, I remember uh, one day, I think Lucia Raffaelli was the editor and, and Daniel Satori was the publisher, and I was called in to a meeting, called to task for some editorial that I had done. And uh, I was sitting there and Daniel Satori said to me, would, would it crush you to, to actually show the clothes clearly? <laughs> and I said, and Lucia said like, you know, and I said in the most uh, presumptuous and, and uh, you know, only a, a young twenty-year-old could say, "No, no, my photographs just describe how it's how it feels to wear the clothes." <laughs> <laughs> and Lucia Ravielli, who was the editor, as I recall, a long time ago, said, "You know, stood by me, 
That's oh, fantastic. So, uh, you know, a lot, yeah, a lot of, a lot of freedom there. I think less so in, you know, in the U.S. Never worked for a U.S. Uh, Vogue um, mm. uh, or French Vogue. It's just mainly Italian Vogue. But when I would do commercial, like more commercial, like sometimes you'd be hired by a designer mm. to do the collections or something like that. And I actually I w was one of the last of the bunch to do the kind of haute couture collections in Rome. Yeah. yeah. Well, then you had to be extraordinarily um, uh, focused on, you know, you could create a mood, but you really needed to adhere to what the designer wanted in yeah. terms of showing the clothes. So it really came down to how much you were being paid. Editorially, yeah. you, weren't, you weren't paid very much, but you lived well and you could do whatever you want when you were doing advertising, you know, um, you know, you're there as a conduit to serve the client. And, and uh, you know, when I was doing commercials, mm. yeah, certainly you have, you have freedom, but within the parameters of, of what is necessary in terms of delivering the message that the client wants for that, you're paid very, very well. And I suppose, was it the same with your, with the films that you've directed? Um... A little bit different because, you know, I've, I've really been a creature of the studio system, which is yeah. odd because my aesthetic is a little bit different, but those are the opportunities that I had. Yeah. In fact, my first movie, Christmas Vacation, which was a big, broad American comedy, mm. um, which was not really uh, the kind of, of filmmaking that I ever ascribed to, but it was a real opportunity given to me at a moment um, that I just jumped on. And so I sublimated to what I needed to do. I was yeah. lucky. The script by John Hughes was brilliant. He was my producer. I, was, I learned about comedy. I studied my forebears, my forefathers, and all those mm. great comedic directors of the 30s and 40s. Um, the Billy Wilders and, 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 and the Preston Sturges and the, yeah, th those guys really kind of in my, in my heart and, uh, and, and manifest the sort of uh, universality of Norman Rockwell or Courier and Ives and so uh, and just drew it that way. Uh, when I did uh, Benny and June, I just uh, undertook a slightly different, I didn't write it, I rewrote it. Um, but I just tried to serve the aesthetic uh, of the of the film. Um, I I feel that the films that I've done have more or less been whether people like them or not, but they they've been um, more formal photographic uh, mm. kinds of work that um, with a different script uh, it would it would feel and look different. So, um, I don't know, I, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to talk about some of these films because, uh, some of them are just so complicated in the, yeah. uh, creation of them, even getting to the, you know, the starting gate. Um, but I'm, uh, a person who really embraces process. Mm. So I, I love the process of pre-production, production, post-production, post you know what I mean? Those are things that I I love to think about those things as I'm doing them. They are very existential. And so mm. uh, I welcome that. And, and during this pandemic, I've chosen not to go out and not to direct. Um, and, you know, I've had opportunities to do so, but I want to, I, you know, I like to have fun when I do it. And, and um, you know, for all wearing hazmat suits, um, yeah, just, it, it's stressful. I, you know, I, I, I am getting ready to do something, uh, soon, but, but, exactly. um, you know, but, but, but the, you know, again, I go back to process. I like, pro I love the creative process because mm. it takes me out of the kind of real world. Mm. And do you spend a lot of your, is part of your creative process, Jeremiah, spending, a lot of time in that kind of thinking and contemplating and preparing and where do you get your kind of where do you find your ideas come from did they just come in or 
do you like do you get them from me you know music films do you watch a lot of films for for inspiration or uh, no I, I i mean i you know i i find i don't have enough time to watch everything that i <laughs> want to watch that's number one especially right now uh, you know i'm a member of the academy and so i'm, I'm trying to get through as many mm. films because we're voting soon um you know my you know i i Certainly during this pandemic, uh, you know, I do a daily walk on uh, in here in Venice and, and um, I take pictures, of course, I post many of them on Instagram and yeah, uh, but but on those walks, those really, they clear my head and I just allow mm. things in. I do read a lot. Mm. I try to take my inspiration, not from the media that I work from, but from others. Um, you know, I'm surrounded by books and, yeah. and uh, art. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, involved in absorbing art, other people's art in different ways, music. Mm. So, um, you know, sometimes I'll just go out with no, you know, no intention at all and just see something and that'll captivate me. And other times I'll go out with an intention and working on, uh, a piece on LA water, which is why I know so much about the yeah. <laughs> Owens Valley. And, and um, I'm, I'm working on, I'm going to do this self-published book, um, which I'm almost ready to uh, design. I have all the images, uh, but it will be in the form of a broadsheet. Oh, so uh, it'll be good. a big broadsheet. Um, yeah. Kind of printed on newsprint, um, but the images are very suited to newsprint and the absorption and the ink and the gray. So I'm kind of excited about that. And um, and when will that be ready? Do you think, Jeremiah? I, I think you know, certainly by fall, it'll be oh, oh. it'll be done. Yeah. And where can listeners? Um, find you and your work, and if they if they're listening to this and they're thinking, oh, I like the idea of this this broad uh, broadsheet book. Uh, wh where could they where could they get that from? Well, they, I don't know because I haven't, thought, I haven't <laughs> thought about how I'm going to market it. Though I I have some ideas that I'm not going to talk about right now because mm -hmm. I do have I have a couple of publishers. Oh right, okay. Uh, for for um, yeah. I have two art books that are coming that I ah. think will be ready by the end of the year. If I can just devote a little bit more time to them, the images are done. But but um, my work is, you know, you can see my work at uh, www.jeremiahchechik.com or chechik.com, C-H-E-C-H-I-K.com. Uh, and just explore. I have digital art and I have camera work. Um, uh, my Instagram is Jeremiah underscore Chechik, and uh, there's a lot more kind of playful images um, that I throw out there. Um, so those are the two kind of, uh, you know, if it's social media, I'm generally Instagram. Mm. Um, I'm exploring, you know, other, other forms uh, of work, um, whether it's, you know, because we're not showing right now, obviously. Mm. I was supposed to have a big show last fall. Can't do that. Um, so that's why, you know, publishing has been really, really good. Of course, you can't do the scale, but don't care. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, a good place to start is my, you know, my website, I guess. So much like the film, the 80 minutes of action-packed film that sounds like uh, your life, Jeremiah. <laughs> Every... <laughs> Uh, you're busy from dawn till dusk, it sounds. <laughs> and I do a podcast. Oh, yes. Go on. Uh, yes, you do a podcast with um, a, a co-host who will be very familiar to listeners, um, Aid. So, yeah, do you want to tell us where, where listeners can find you in your podcast? Uh, well, you can hashtag us at uh, TFOP now uh, on Instagram. We're at uh, Future Photography um, is our podcast. Um and uh, I guess on YouTube, we're starting to put stuff up on YouTube. I think it's TFOP now, T-F-O-P now. Um, and uh, wow, I'm sure there's a... And that's weekly, <laughs> a... isn't it? That's the weekly show, isn't it? Jeremy? It's weekly. We do it yeah. weekly, yes. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of fun. 
Uh, you know, we're multi-continental here. <laughs> you know, uh, Chris, who's who's our main man, uh, who does happy shooting, tips from the top floor. Uh, you know, he's a master. Um, Adrian Emer, who's in Ireland. Adrian's in London or outside of London. And uh, Chris is in Germany and I'm here. And so mm. we, we just kind of throw down and, and have, it's been a lot of fun. Lot oh, of fun. that's great. Well, what can I say? Um, thank you, Jeremiah, for giving your time um, to talk welcome. to us on, on film. It's been lovely um, listening to you. And um, I hope all the listeners will um, go to your website to look at, look at your work because um, it's very, very, very interesting. You've done so much. Um, as always, if people want to um, get in touch with us, here, um, please email sunny16presents at gmail.com. And if it's about um, this um, show, then please head up your email on film um, so that so that we, we know this is what you would like to ask us a question about um, or, or make a comment or a contribution. So we'll look forward to you joining us again um, next month. <laughs>